What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. If you have a vulva and spill fluids during sex, is it pee or something spicier? How can we better communicate about sex? And what is it like performing comedy around the world, from L.A. to India? We have a very fun and full show lined up for you all today, and I'm so excited that you're listening. Before we dive in, a huge sponsor shout-out to The Pleasure Chest, my favorite place to shop for sex toys, lube, and more. Visit a store in L.A., New York, or Chicago to attend free workshops or shop online at thepleasurechest.com. Through the end of this month, June, you can get free shipping because of Pride Month. Now, I'm so pleased to welcome Pallavi Gunalan to the show. Pallavi is a biomedical engineer and stand-up comedian who has performed at festivals and venues around the world. Some of her credits include producing Oversharing Comedy, co-producing the touring show Facial Recognition Comedy, co-hosting the Facial Recognition Comedy Podcast, which is very awesome, and creating and starring in the Dirty Science web series on YouTube and Instagram. You also performed at Musa Masala's Comedy Jam Jam, which is how I learned about your work. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. What passion struck you first, comedy or science and engineering? Science and engineering. Um, I was in my math engineering science association in my middle school, and this biotech um, department from this technology center came over, and they showed us how to like isolate DNA. And then I got their contact info through my teacher, and I asked for an internship at like thirteen or something. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah, so that's been like my longest. I was saying my longest like career relationship. <laughs> and then with comedy, I started that um, less than three years ago. Uh, so it's been a wild ride in the time that I've done it. And yeah, it definitely became a passion. What was that quickly. decision like? What um, spurred you to really pursue it? My ex uh, was doing improv and I, he got into this festival and I met all these comedians at this like after party, like people that were like my heroes. And I had been absorbing comedy podcasts, like everything I could. Um, and I did, just never thought of it as an option. Uh I, like, didn't understand, like, the career path for it um, because I was always just in, like, science, math, engineering, you know? Um, and so then I met all these comedians, and I was like, okay, like, I, I want to do a set. I'm going to do a set. And then the next day I went and did an open mic, and then I came back to another party, after party, and I got to tell, like, some of those people how my first set went. I got to tell John Hodgman how my first set went. And I got to, like, hang out with Paul F. Tompkins and stuff. It was crazy. They probably, like, they don't remember me at all, but it was, like, it was so fun because I, I really was like a comedy nerd. Like I knew what scenes people came out of. I just never thought I could do it. And then after that, I didn't really have time to do it until I moved to L.A. Like I did a couple more open mics in the Bay Area. Um, and then I moved to L.A. and I like went pretty hard. It's so interesting there. because I feel like a lot of people probably imagine that that's what they will do after their first set. <laughs> you know, they're imagining yeah. themselves with their comedy heroes. That's so amazing that that, that, that all oh, yeah. came together for you. That's yeah, really, that really was cool. crazy. I was like, I can't believe I'm around these people right now. <laughs> I think that's a very good affirmation that you're on the right track. I'd love to hear a little bit about your um, upbringing. What do you remember learning about sex and sexuality when you were a kid? 
<laughs> um, my <laughs> my parents sex talk with me. So okay, so actually in like fifth grade and then in seventh grade there was like a health class. In fifth grade you had the option of not going. Like your parents could sign you. My parents signed me out, so I didn't go. So I didn't know what like periods were until like seventh grade. And in there, and I grew up in Utah, and so like they'll tell you like the what happens, but they'll also like really emphasize abstinence. And they won't, like, talk about condoms as much and stuff like that. And so, like, I remember somebody, somebody, one of the teachers brought in this, like, guy who, like, did this, like, Dr. Seuss poem about when two become one. And it was, like, so weird and, like, creepy looking back on it. Like, he was just talking about, like, the importance of the act. Um, And even in my biology class, like, my biology teacher, he would say, like, you know, these are the preventions or whatever, but the best way is to just not, is abstinence. Like, you know, like, it was really, like, heavily influenced, I think, by, like, the religion and stuff, too, and the culture of the state. Um, But then with my parents, like, we didn't have a sex talk my every once in a while it just felt like out of nowhere my mom would be like your father and I waited till we were married and like <laughs> that would like that was, that it. was it and then um when I was like tw- I was getting off my parents insurance and by then I'd had <laughs> no big deal but by then I'd had sex at like almost 26 but uh <laughs> I, like I had it when I was like 20 um but but like I was getting off my parents insurance and so I needed to get the Gardasil shot and um for HPV uh, prevention and I I told my parents this and one of my par- one of my parents goes uh is that is that the shot for like if you're sexually active and I was like um well yes and then I, and then the other ones the other one went well if if you're if you're doing those things you have other things to worry about and the other one went yeah like aids and stuff and then like walked out of the room and then that was it like so i hadn't talked to my parents about sex and then the me too movement happened and i wanted to make a post about all the stuff that's happened to me and part of that was um you know like admitting to being sexually active you know with someone and then them taking advantage of that later and so I had to be like honest with my I called my parents and I was like I'm gonna do this post because they're friends with me on Facebook they see all my like masturbation jokes and all that stuff and they're just like they ignore it sometimes and then uh-huh. sometimes they don't like it but <laughs> but um I had to tell them like what some of my experience was and it was like a really good conversation to have with them because then I could just be honest about being sexually active and then also be real with them about like what we face in this world because even my mom like she experienced stuff um you know when she first came to this country like when she was taking the bus and like people would like pinch her and stuff you know like guys were awful but I think you know they they've never been dating in this country or like you know drinking and dating and like exposing themselves uh to all sorts of different people in a romantic way um and so they I think they were like heartbroken a little bit because they felt like they had failed me by like not protecting me. Um, but having the conversation was really good. It's just crazy that that conversation started with the Me Too movement because I'm yeah. I'm like so old. <laughs> like I should have, you know, like we should have had this conversation. I know what you mean. But like even my parents, um, like my sex talks were like one was don't do it in this house. You know, after don't do it in this house. Yeah, they're like, my daughter fucked here. She fucked here. I hate this. I can't sleep on this couch anymore. I don't know why your southern parents are southern to me. Like, Minnesotan, but that's, that's uh, pretty close. That, that that works. They could be from the south too. Um, that was like after my mom had picked up a clue that I'd been sexually active. So was it just a condom wrapper? What kind of clue was it? It was. It was. Well, really? my, I a, a another younger relative found the condom wrapper, and I. 
because I'd been really involved in theater, that's the only reason I can think that I was like, you improvise. Yeah. And so I was like, because I was heartbroken that they would, because th- I knew that it would pain them to know that I was having sex. Yeah. So I, I blurted out something about how, well, you know, physiologically, when a boy is turned on, sometimes stuff comes out of his thing. So you have to put something on it to catch it, but it's not like it was inside me or something. Like, I just had this oh, story. Oh, you just pretended to be dumb Yeah, and about I was like, it. like a, a plastic bag doesn't really work, so you just catch it in something. Like, I, I don't, it was, it was wow. very awkward. Yeah, it was very awkward. But now, my mom is, after starting Girl Boner, like, we still yeah. didn't talk about, and, and my parents are really wonderful and loving, like, open-minded in, in so many ways, but, like, they never learned to talk about this stuff at all. So then, once I started Girl Boner, which was, like, you know, six, seven years ago, there was still nothing about it. And then all of a sudden, my mom just started, like, making boner jokes. And now she That's just won't so stop. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. My parents do make dirty jokes sometimes. It's not, like, as, like, vulgar as I do. It's, like, kind of, like, dad jokes type thing. But, like, literally, sometimes when my mom's, like, really mad and she's, like, screaming at me or whatever, I'd just be, like, <laughs> I'll just be, like, hey, mom. And she's, like, what? I'd be, like, penis and then she just starts giggling like she can't help herself <laughs> it's like super That's cute like really endearing to me I could yeah. see that it's like there's almost a a freedom for them to talk like a girl would if she could yeah I think I still think they like I mean they're different than me in personality so it's like not they wouldn't talk like me <laughs> you know I'm like pretty out there um but I think it does especially for my culture when I see people accept me and like not because I'm so used to being on the defense about my personality when it comes to you know like talking about sex and just being like very blunt and stuff so when people in my culture accept me and are like enjoy it like actually enjoy it and are excited to like hear my thoughts on things Mm -hmm. it's just like it's so much better it feels so good very freeing right yeah validating uh I love that you're so into science and that that's your expertise and also a passion of yours. Yeah. Your, your videos on science are, are awesome. They're very Thank funny, you. very insightful. I recommend them. Uh, so I thought I would share a few sexual science facts and yeah. see what you think about them. One is about the sweat glands. So when we are physically turned on and the brain releases uh, norepinephrine, it also stimulates the sweat glands so we can get really, really sweaty during sex, even if it's not like really rigorous sex. And because we have so many in our the palms of our hands, our hands can get very, very sweaty. Convenient. Yeah. <laughs> we is, just have right? like natural luby hands. <laughs> we do. That's so convenient. Natural luby. You know, I've never heard that recommendation. Like if you don't have lube, just... Let yourself get turned on. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. I would 100% say carry lube with you at all times. Yes. Agreed. But Agreed. Do you know what? Do you know what? (laughs) I hooked up with this guy and instead of lube, he had coconut oil. And it worked because then in the morning, I just used it as moisturizer. (laughs) That's amazing. A lot of people use coconut oil. And as I understand it, it, it can have benefits, but it's like it can also offset your vaginal pH a little bit. That explains a lot. <laughs> but I bet it was great on the hair. It was, yeah. The skin and the, wherever else. We put it everywhere, yeah. right? It's like, it's for everything. So with the, sorry, with the sweaty hands yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Is that why we're like internally disgusted when someone shakes our hand and it's sweaty? We're like, you're turned on. Like, <gasps> is that like a primal thing where we're like. You know, I wonder. See? Like, this is inappropriate. I wonder if there is some sort of subconscious thing going on. Well, I think it's like we know that they're like at least nervous. 
or yeah, something. Yeah, something about that clamminess makes us like, ooh, what's going we, on? Because we know it's for sex. <laughs> yeah, that could be. You know, we might have to write to the researchers about that one. <laughs> Apparently also when – this was a study done by Dr. Barry Kamizarek, who um, I've interviewed and, and worked with at one point. Um, he's out at Rutgers University, and he did a study on women's brains during orgasms. He's done a bunch. But one of them showed that the region linked to self-evaluation, which is um, activity in the lateral orbitofrontal cortex mm-hmm. behind the left eye, it diminishes self-evaluation. So the idea is that that can actually, from orgasm, we can feel more relaxed and focus on what's happening versus criticizing ourselves, which I'm kind of what's interesting to me. And maybe you would have some insight on this. I'm like, when we orgasm, though, also, aren't we just naturally everything just sort of like it's so it's such a release and it's so it takes so much of our attention that yeah. it's harder to f- hyper focus on ourselves. But maybe there is also an, an extra brain thing, because basically what they were saying in this article I read about the study was that. It's possible that before sex, you might feel very self-conscious about your body. After sex, you might look in the mirror and be like, I'm cool. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a, it maybe has like a temporal like fall off after. Like you, you like drop your criticism and then that lasts until I don't know how long. (laughs) That's a good point. I wonder how how long it does last. Like should you just orgasm every, (laughs) if you're feeling like critical, just... Yeah, I feel like women who are like feel really empowered. Maybe they're just masturbating all the time. <laughs> I honestly, I do think it's it is so empowering. Like it's I, great. I recommend it for so many different things that I do think because it it's so relaxing. Yeah, it does. It gets you out of your head. That's great. I think it's great. I th- yeah, I think um, that's interesting because I, I think I feel like women really, at least in like hetero relationships, women are really like that. Where once once we know the guy likes the pussy, we're like, it's fine. <laughs> like, like he likes my pussy. Now it's like I have all the power. <laughs> the rest of the body, blah 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 blah. Just, I mean, I like I, but I do think that guys can make you feel very empowered when they, when you know, like, because we, we're so self conscious about like every aspect of our body, and then when they're just like, "Fuck, like you're amazing," like whatever, we just like it just falls away. And I think that's part of it. I wonder if that impacts it as well. I think so. That adoration, and, yeah, and really. It's such a turn on too to feel that your partner wants you. Oh my god, it's I don't like I've had sex where I didn't feel like the person was like that into it. Like not like not like it wasn't consensual. Not like anything. running away from you. But like yeah, yeah, but like they like didn't make me feel the way I should feel during sex and it sucks. Like mm. it's you should be like all into each other and like so not, excited like, to be there. Scrolling your phone or like Oh, yeah, that was cool. You want a sandwich? Yeah. Well, sandwiches are always But sandwiches good. are good. That's true. I do love sandwiches. Uh, so when someone with a penis ejaculates, did you know that semen moves at an average of 28 miles per hour toward the hole? And then it slows way down to like zero, zero, wait, 0.0011. What's that? I, I, I'm bad at numbers, but it slows way down. So it's almost like, it's ready, it's ready, it's ready. And then it's like, uh-uh. Wait, which, so when it's... Oh, at the tip of the penis is when it slows down. Yeah, that isn't that every man though. They're like, I want to, I want to be with you. I want to be with you, and then they're like, Whoa, whoa we're moving too fast. It's just like a micro. <laughs> it's like a good analogy, right? Yeah, it's like a, a smaller version, blown up. 
of just these dudes out here. <laughs> Can you tell I'm not bitter? Little micro- <laughs> <laughs> but then you, but then you laugh and you make other people laugh, so it feels good. <laughs> that's your, that's part of your charm and your pizzazz and your magic. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, and I hear about this one a lot. So, and this is actually in my Girl Boner book. I talk about G-spot stimulation. You know, it often coincides with what you call female ejaculation, or mm-hmm. and essentially it people worry that they peed. Like the first time it happened to me, I thought I peed on someone and I was okay with it. But then the person that I peed on, they thought I peed on was like kind of not weirded out. Oh, totally. Like washing the sheets immediately. And I was like, oh, um, okay. I thought they they think it's hot. Yeah. I I mean, that was like the stereotype of it. Yeah. It's like, I'm like so good at sex that I made. I made you have a waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but apparently, I mean, they, they've done studies and there are trace amounts of urine, but it's mostly like really diluted and it's a lot of water, which is the same as male ejaculate. Yeah, I thought it's like um, it's like it pushes out of like a filter or something. I don't know. I, I've got to be honest, didn't look this up right before. <laughs> that is totally fine. That is totally fine. Yeah, I think it's good to know that it, it's funny, though, how we go, oh, my gosh, there's like a little pee in it. But. That's it's it's all bodily stuff. I mean, yeah, you're just out here pee down there. You're out here like licking assholes, and then you're like, oh no, <laughs> w- w- the wet spot. Like, There's like a little drop of pee. Calm Ew. down. You were <laughs> totally. inside my body. Chill the fuck out. Did you, you know? Were... <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah. They're like part of our bodies. <laughs> this is all header. I'm just complaining about cis men, but the... <laughs> they're like inside our bodies, and then like they're like oh, they get weirded out by like periods. I can't. You were inside my body. Like, there's an organ of yours. <laughs> Not an organ, but, like, a, a thing. And Good I let it all the way yeah. in. Yeah. And and, and you're weirded out by a around. liquid. Like, you don't know what the fuck is going on in there. That's really they true. They don't. They're very uneducated about a lot of them. It's very I true. I mean, I have, I have met men who are, like, totally fine. I've been with. Yeah. You know, we're cool so with all of it. Hot. And it is amazing, right? It's such a turn on. I Like, the last guy I was with was, like, down for anything. And that was, like, such a turn on. Because, like, then your self-criticism doesn't kick in, you know? And it feels weird when you have to, like, be defensive of, like, how you look or, like, what you know, when you're trying to be, like, the most vulnerable and just go for it. And I think the sex yeah. is, like, way better when you turn your brain off. Oh, it's so true. Yeah, when you just let it. I like it when sex takes over. Like the pleasure takes over, so yeah. you just can't even really go there. And like you said, because we criticize ourselves, it's really not cool. And regardless of our gender, but like any of us, if we're yeah. criticizing the partner, that it's, it's awful. It's such a turnoff. I think um, I have a theory that dumb people fuck better. At least more consistently, they fuck better because they're not thinking about it's just primal. Because they don't overthink it. Yeah. But I think like we can get to that point where we like turn off our brains and we fuck real good. <laughs> we Could can, we like, learn study well. that? Do you think it'd be possible? I mean, it's hard to get sexuality studies you, approved, but if like you can, think you're, if you're dumb, dumb and come in. You want to have animal sex? Yeah. Animalistic sex. Don't have animal, animal sex. sex because that's not ethical. Um, do you think that would be studyable? I think yeah. We could probably do like IQ, IQ with versus... like pleasure center light up things. And maybe like throw EQ in there for variety yeah <laughs> like emotionally smart people and yeah street smart people and yeah that's interesting the overthinking could, could, could go really far which might help in some like I have some friends who are sex educators who are they have like excel charts for the sexual experiences they're like so into like you know so then I wonder how people who are sex educators and also you I don't know if this might be TMI from you but like how like you talk about sex so much in an analytical way mm-hmm. how do you is it the same for you in bed? Like, do you when I'm when I'm in it, I actually do off. just 
enjoy it. Yeah. But it does affect me when I'm watching. Like, people will be like, oh, you must love this TV show and this podcast and this stuff because it's all about sex. I'm like, then I feel like I'm working all the time. Yeah. So I end up watching a lot of shows about serial killers and stuff. That's so funny. It all balances out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that vegetarians taste better? And smell better. I like to think that because I am a vegetarian. Hey, boys. There you go. So you might have already known that. I got this green pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Have you always been vegetarian? Since I was eight. Yeah. Yeah, my parents uh, and my brother eat meat. People think it's because I'm brown, but it's not. (laughs) It's a choice. Yeah. Yeah, I just was like starting to eat more vegetarian, and then I like really loved animals, and I was like, I just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mostly veggie myself. And uh, I guess you don't have to be full-on vegan, vegetarian to have the benefits of the planty health, like better smelling um, vagina and vulva and penis area and all that stuff. But apparently if you eat a lot of like fatty foods or like red meat especially yeah, right before sex, it's like a pungent smell and flavor. Uh, More inflammation. It feels like medieval. <laughs> it does kind of. <laughs> like a leg of lamb. It and totally does. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was so excited that I'm having a scientist here because I love science, but I'm not a scientist. And so I thought I could do a little show and tell because I've never shown anybody this except for like my partner and what? pretty much that's yes. it. But I, I, run it. A, I run a show called Oversharing. So this is my personality. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, then you can come back anytime. Yeah. So this is my will describe it for listeners, my orgasm MRI mask. Whoa. So they made this for me. I had to like lay there and they like put this plastic stuff on your face. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't move. And it's so that you can breathe, but it it's looks, also to keep your head really still. It looks like something Kanye would wear on tour. It's, like, <laughs> it's just like this mesh mask with the eye holes cut out. I know. I think it's like a colander or maybe <laughs> kind of Hannibal Lecter-ish though too. Yeah. Don't you think? A little bit. And so this is like, have you ever had an MRI? or? Yeah, any- I used to do, like, MRIs for money in college. Oh, did you? Okay. So it those were a little awful. different. Did you have to do any sort of, I mean, you probably weren't masturbating, but did you do other? No. I don't. Or were they just, like? I don't, I think they had me, like, do, like, a visual task, like, um, like it was a memory related or something, or, like, reaction related or something like that. I yeah. Can't remember. And you you obviously aren't claustrophobic. Did they tell you that? Before I went into the machine, they said, if you're claustrophobic, you'll freak out in there and then just hit the eject button. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. I I didn't know if I was because I've never really been in this tiny little – I mean, I don't think I was. But how do you know if you've never been trapped in a tube? I don't know. But thankfully, it went all right. It's a bucket list item. Get trapped in a tube. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about communicating about sex. I was going to ask you about that because I wanted to also know, like, because you're so educated about it, do you you find that you've communicated better? Um, Do you think that's like a natural process uh, that women go through? Or do you think that yours, like, your communication got a lot better because you study this? That's such a good question. I think I'm a very verbal person. So I think... In some ways, I mean, I, for years and years, I talked about everything except for sex. That was like one of my big aha moments was mm-hmm. when I was like, whoa, I've never talked about sex until this professor in a college class started a conversation about it. Yeah. And I was in my early 20s and I had sex, never talked about it. But ever since, I've been sort of like nonstop talking about it a lot of ways. Um, but interestingly, one of the impacts of really delving into this work more um, academically and for writing and interviewing a lot of people is that I have realized that at sometimes I was kind of over communicating. 
Oh. You know what I mean? Like in like the middle. before? Before you. Uh, well, I would just at, ran- <laughs> at random in the middle of just walking around outside, talking to someone. We're at a mall or something. Just like be blurting out sex stuff, like questions or, hey, you know, last night when we did this, then did you think that that, you know, like. I wasn't really... Read the room, August. Exactly. I wasn't. (laughs) I was not reading the room. And I was like, once I thought, oh, I can talk about this like it's normal, then, oh, everyone must. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then also, sometimes I would talk a lot during sex. I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to communicate all the time where you're like, I would really like it if you would do blank, blank, blank. So I try to like... You know, now I can, like I said, just feedback after yeah. and kind yeah, of body language. Yeah. Is it has that been an easy process for you to talk during? No, actually, about? I have like I think I've had a tough time um, with that sort of thing with partners. I um, was in a relationship where it was really fucking hard because we were long distance. For the, we were f- really close friends for like five years, and then we became more like right before I moved to Pittsburgh and he was in San Francisco and so it was long distance for two years and then for two years it or almost two years it wasn't um but we like did not have sex frequently enough and it gave me a lot and he had some comments and stuff and it gave me a lot of like body issues and so the fight the cyclical fight just became like please just fuck me like and it was like we when we when he would visit me like once every four to six weeks we would have sex but then it was the same rate when I moved to the same city and it was I'm I feel like I have a much higher sex drive than anyone I've been with, except for this like last guy I was with. And he like matched it. But like, I think that's a thing that's peddled to women is that we have much lower sex drives than we actually do. And then we feel so rejected when like the guy is tired. Like it's this I, like every woman I've talked to has had like these experiences where mm-hmm. we want to have sex and the guy doesn't. It's so common. And it yeah. feels so like it feels you're like fully rejected as a woman like that they're not attracted to you that there's something wrong with you because society tells us they want to be all over us all the time so it's got to be something um so that was really hard for me because I just I like I I just wanted him to want me you know and it was really it was really tough um and then after outside of the relationship I was like oh that was like a sex drive issue it wasn't like a me did you have a conversation with him ever about that I've had conversations with his ex and current girlfriend <laughs> could they come in and join us for a chat as that well? would be fucking hilarious <laughs> but uh it's not a it's not a me issue <laughs> i mean and, and i'm not trying to say like we should shame that person because i don't yeah. know anything else i'm just saying because it's also, not even it's not right? even like sex drives are just different like it's they not are. something to be shamed about but i think mm-hmm. there were other things that also like propagated the insecurities and like the communication like it wasn't something that he thought was a problem and when I kept telling him it was a problem. So I think that was like... Yeah, that's another thing we learn societally, right? Is that it's a quality of life issue for yes. us, this guy. Oh, my God. Like yes. all the Viagra and like, oh, my gosh, there's a there's a thing. We have to address it. But then if um, a cis woman goes in and says, I'm on an antidepressant and my sex drive isn't the same as it was, they're like, oh, drink some wine. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You know, like it's not it's taken the, as seriously because yeah. we're like, we still don't see women as sexual beings the way that we see men. As enjoying sex, like right. as as taking an active role in it. Yeah, yeah. But so that was an issue. And then after that, I've had some really, like I dated this like sociopath and it was very unhealthy and like scary. And it's mm. still kind of like, he's still like around kind of. And then I dated this guy who was like, <laughs> he like got a lot of ass, but he was bad at sex because he like he he would do things that, you know, when they do things that you they think you want, but they never ask a question 
or like don't fully take in like feedback of like placement of hands or like yeah, you know yeah, when yeah. you're like they're like I to... saw this on porn so I'm just gonna do it yeah and it's not even like it was aggressive or anything like, I always felt safe with him um, but it was like a thing of like dude like read my fucking body language like clearly I'm like keep doing this thing don't switch to another thing you know what I mean and like I was I realized that I wasn't communicating until like the very last time we were together. And then after that, when we got in like a big fight, I was like, why did you never, I literally was like, why did you never care that I came? Like, we never cared that I did, like that I didn't come, you know? And I was like, I knew somebody he'd been with before. And I was like, you never made her come. Like we mm-hmm. talked to each other. Women talk to each other. So I was like pretty harsh with him at the end of it because he just was like, he did a bunch of like fuck shit. So I was just like, you know what? Like I'm doing community service. You need to care about when women come. Like you have to. And he, he literally was like, I'm old. I'm like over 30 now. Like, I don't care. Like, he literally said he didn't care, but I think it was, like, a defense mechanism. I'm over 30, so I don't care. That's so he's like, I don't really care. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You're just a misogynist. Like, if that's all uh, that means. Because really, you gave him potentially a really amazing gift. Because probably a lot of people didn't feel comfortable saying. That's what I was. I was just at my wit's end. And I was like, dude, like, even if this was a casual relationship, it fucking sucked. Because you were not, like, careful about, like, paying attention to the the women you were with you know and so yeah I think he like he said some crazy shit um and I think I mean I said some crazy shit but he like responded with like weird excuses and I think it was all the defense mechanism but hopefully something resonated with him and I do think it's important for feedback like we have to be honest with each other but like I, I wasn't kind at that point, but we we need to be kind and compassionate and like just very honest with each other because it's not it's also not the only thing that's like a judgment on a person is if they don't care if they literally don't care about the other person that they're with. Everything else, like I feel like everybody can learn something. You know, it's all just preference. Yeah, or and whatever. most people want to know how to better please a person. Yeah, and you can say things in a way that's because the thing is, is if you don't say it and then it festers, then when it comes it's out. Awful. Um, and in your case, there were all these other issues. So it's yeah. like there was a, there a lot of problems, right? Issues. It's never just like one thing. Yeah. And and a lot of times I think the sex issues, quote unquote, reflect other issues, right? Yeah. But if you're in a pretty good relationship and the sex isn't great, which is, you know, happens, um, I think it's really important to learn ways to, to first of all, have like real self-honesty and go mm. like, what role am I playing in this? Is this something like, what do I want that's different? And then saying it in a way that's not, you never do this to me. Like, yeah. why don't you do this and say, I love it when you do this to yeah, me. Yeah, positive reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really key. I think part of the reason that it's really hard for me to break um, the shackles of kind of like not talking about it, not being direct is because of like upbringing where like we never talked about it and like you're not supposed to like want to talk about it or like be open with it like that and it's it's really it is something that I've had to like fight the instinct to like not talk about but talking about on stage has like helped a lot too and also like owning because my stuff is like self uh, self deprecating as well Um, so that is fun too because then I'm like oh like this is my problem (laughs) like if it resonates with a lot of women I'm like oh like this thing that I'm that I'm silly about doing or not doing that's like a problem for a lot of women you're not alone in it yeah I have to like uh, take my own feedback (laughs) yeah that's really huge I I admire that you do that I think that's one reason that people really are drawn to your work is because they go they're feeling a familiarity you're saying things that they haven't felt they could say 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's the the best thing about stand up. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So we have a listener question that we are going to hear first from Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com, and then we can chat about it. This question came from Sabrina, who wrote this. I'm freaking out because last month my close friend's husband made a move on me. After occasional subtle flirting with me, I had thought I was imagining prior to that. The move was almost a kiss. I stopped it, though I was embarrassingly turned on. No way would I cross that line. I have been avoiding my friend since because I don't know if or how I should tell her. Please tell me what to do, Sabrina. Sabrina, thank you so much for your question. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Sabrina, thanks so much for this question. And I must say, you know, this really is a tricky one um, in so many levels. In part, you know, as you're saying, you're just sort of trying to make sense of this. You know, initially, was this just flirting? And then it sort of seemed like it crossed a line. And then I'm hearing you say, embarrassingly, you felt turned on. And first of all, I just want to normalize the fact that, you know, when we're flirting, and a lot of married couples do flirt, and sometimes sort of with the explicit permission and understanding from their partners, um, although certainly not always, but that, you know, when we're getting that sort of undivided uh, attention and really feel wanted and desired, you know, for most of us, that is a big turn on. So, you know, I guess I want to say that just because you were noticing feeling turned on by it, what's completely normal about that. And yet you're also really clear about your own boundaries and what does or doesn't work for you. And that it's, you know, not even a question about crossing the line. And so, you know, the tragedy in some ways is that it's impacting your friendship, right? Because you're avoiding her because you're not really sure sort of what to do. And so first of all, I can appreciate that rock and hard place because I imagine, right, that there's a part of you that's thinking, you know, you know, oh my gosh, she's my friend. And of course I want to tell her. And then there's another part of you thinking, you know, what would be the impact that this might have on her marriage? Um, And so I'm going to come to that. But I think most importantly, it's that you know what works and doesn't work for you. And that you took care of yourself. So that's sort of the first thing. And the second is, it sounds like you sort of did when you stopped in the moment, but if you feel like you need to on some of it's really, and this might help you clarify whether to tell or not is the, to reach out to him and sort of say, you know, I just want to revisit. I wanted to make it clear. Um, you're not sure if in any way you had sent mixed signals, you know, even in some ways, potentially even put on you just to get a sense of can he take responsibility and is he like oh my gosh I'm so sorry you know maybe he'd had a few too many to drink or you know he just didn't realize from the flirtation it crossed a line and you can tell in you know in his response his energy that he's like whoa he's fully taking responsibility it's never going to happen again or do you get the sense that you know, he's not taking responsibility and maybe he's still flirting with you. And in some ways, maybe that he's a player and this is a common occurrence. So I think that depending on his reaction, whether it was in the moment or if you revisit with him, that's going to give you some more information to think about whether or not you tell your friend, right? Because if it's sort of a one-off and he's like, oh my God, I can't even believe I did that. And he's embarrassed, you know, I would say you might want to side with the, you set a clear boundary with him And definitely don't in any way distance yourself from your friendship. But that when and if you felt like, whoa, he really seems like that this is a common thing and you're probably maybe not even the first one, then you're really in the place of recognizing from my perspective, you know, your responsibility is to your friend and not necessarily to protect their marriage, right? That if she... 
if this to you feels like it's a common occurrence and you know, some wives, like I said, they like, they're totally aware that their partners are flirty, um, versus someone who feels like, oh my God, you know, they see something in the media and they're like, I can't believe so-and-so flirted or cheated on. If you have a sense that she would be really not in the know, I think then as a friend, it really is an opportunity to sort of say, Hey, um, you know, this may have been, you know, you can sort of make it light and, you know, and a sense sort of non-accusatory, but just sort of saying, you know, it was a moment. I'm not really even sure, but I felt uncomfortable. Nothing happened. You know, nothing will ever happen. But, you know, part of me would want to know when, if it was my husband. And so I just thought I wanted to bring it to your attention. You know, I think that certainly would be a way to handle it. Realizing, you know, that when, if she didn't know, and you're bringing up into her attention, in my experience, the crisis is often the opportunity. And, that would then hopefully help them look at some aspect of their marriage that perhaps hasn't had any light shown on it, right? In terms of, okay, what is the wake up call that that might need to be for them? So I think importantly, it's you have set the boundaries to, again, normalize the feelings that you had. Um, because I think we all, you know, it feels good when somebody's paying attention and flirting to us, but that, um, you don't, let that become a reason to distance yourself from a close friend and that based on how he handles it and whether or not you have a sense of their relationship and if this is a one-off or maybe a frequent occurrence, whether or not to tell your friend. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. I thought she brought some really good points. My first thought when I heard this question was I would want to tell my friend like immediately probably. But then I did think of one friend of mine who, more of an acquaintance now, but I, she doesn't really like the truth. Not just, just like the truth. She doesn't like like the blunt truth if it's going to be painful. Yeah. She's the only person I can think of who wouldn't actually want to know. I think that everybody, but that's also me. I would want to know. I don't know. What What was your take, Pallavi? Yeah, I want to know. But I'm also, I think we're pretty similar in that, like, I like being very honest and I like having harsh truths. And sometimes it's hard for me to accept, but I at least want to know. Um, that sociopath dude, I was like, the first person that I told that I was dating him, who knew him, immediately was like, have you been to his place? Like, blah, blah, blah. And then I found out from her that he had a live-in girlfriend of four years or something like that. And... She she couched it in like, I just I don't want you to be mad at me, like whatever. But I'm never about kill the messenger. It's like if, you, you know, if it has nothing to do with them. They're just being a good friend. So I, I'm very much like the share. But I also know that that's gotten me in trouble sometimes. Like I've had friends where I've told them what their dudes have been up to. And it just, you know, it was complicated between them and their dudes. And they just didn't want to hear about it. And they you know, didn't like how much I overshared, you know, or like how much detail I gave them because it's like something that they don't want to think about. Um, and sometimes, you know, that's like how people cope. That's you don't want to spiral. You don't want to whatever or make something out of nothing. And sometimes it is nothing. So I do think that it's interesting that she it's going to be hard for that girl, though, because like to that woman to like reach like out to the husband. Too. Yeah. Cause and then, then and then because yeah. I'm always like, I don't want to talk to the husband. He's a problem. Like, I want to talk to the person you, like who would be hurt by the, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but simultaneously, I, I think what she said was smart. If it's yeah. like, don't make something out of nothing. Right. Yeah. I thought it was really practical. And it is hard to know where that line is of am I oversharing? Am I not oversharing? And 
But what she said about getting context to see, like, is this, yeah. a, is this a thing that he feels bad about? But the, what I'd feel weird about, though, is if I went to the husband and we had this this conversation and he was like, oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. And then later he cheats on her and I never said anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's that's where I would have a hard time. But I, but that's me. That's my personality. Yeah. And then also, like, there you have to ask yourself, why do you want – why is your gut reaction to tell your friend? Is it to, you know, get rid of your culpability? Is it to come out on, you know, the good side of things with your friend? Is it to get it off your chest? Like, who is it for? You know, what is what are the practical results of your actions? That's such a good point, because if it's just to relieve yourself, then are you really helping anyone? Which is what a lot of my oversharing is. I'm just like, "Ah, I got to tell somebody, you know, like, "Ah, I got to like get this out there. Like they have to know the truth. And it's like, why? Why do they need need to know every detail of everything? Yeah, That's like a part of that is my thing. Has that fueled your comedy? Do you feel like now that you're doing comedy that that has given you? Because I personally feel that now I have this public forum to talk about sex. So I don't feel the same need to get together with a bunch of different people and be like talking about all the sex stuff. Like it's given me this um, better sense of, you know, purpose in it. And then also it it gives me some safe boundaries, I think. Um, I think I'm learning through my experience with people in comedy because – I don't think it's a thing of like, oh, I'm talking so much on stage. I don't need to talk off stage because it's still like a form of connection. It has to do more like with relationships with people than with just like getting it off your chest for me. Um, And but what I've learned is I was in like a nerd bubble before. And like, I think very similar to these like nerds. And so we're very like honest. We can still be like empathetic, whatever. But we're very like honest with each other. And we don't really take it as like a judgment if it's like the truth, you know, Um and with stand-ups, like, they will say shit to your face that's, like, real, but, like, we're all very sensitive, too. And I've just had stand-up comedians who are good friends of mine, like, end their friendships because I've been, like, too honest or too blunt. And mm-hmm. so that is something that people, you know, they're always, like, you're just saying that you're, like, too honest because, you know, you're using it as an excuse to be an asshole. And sometimes that's true. Like, sometimes people don't need to hear everything. It's not – it's that thing of – um what did my Angelou say? Like, it's not what you said or what you did. It's how you made people mm, feel. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like it's a balance of like being honest, being upfront with like, you know, taking care of people's feelings and, you know, making sure that you're not you're doing things for the right reasons. Um, but I, I will say that with comedy, I've actually gone the opposite way because I'm so busy from it all the time that I bypass conversations. I bypass connections with people to get work done. And so now I'm like. I have to think about seeking those conversations about because I've I put so much of myself out there. I forget. It's a it's a weird thing of like people will reference things I didn't talk to them about because they like heard on the podcast or like heard it somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. But simultaneously, like there are other friends that like I haven't connected with as much because I am putting so much of myself out there. I think that they might have like already known something, you know, you like just keep talking and you're like, I don't remember who I talked to or what I said or where I did this. And then you're like, oh, fuck, like I haven't connected with this person in so long. I need to like take the time and effort. It's effort now, too. Even if I love the person, it's like effort because it's like I need to sleep, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you have a very full plate. Yeah, for sure. What does it feel like when you get up on stage? I'm sure it varies, but what is fucking dope, dude? It's like the best feeling in the world. (laughs) It can be terrible, like, but even even after I bomb, I'm still happy that I did it. Like, that's a weird feeling to like do terrible at something and like not regret doing it because you just learn from every experience. Um, But the moment, like, when you're just in like. 
when you're in the pocket, when you're like killing it and you just have these reactions from the crowd, it, there's like no better feeling for me. And that's why that's what gets us through it, because it's a really hard life and having people like fake their enthusiasm for it or fake their passion for it. That's like a hard thing you're doing to yourself, you know, like the the grind that you're putting yourself through for this thing that you're only doing because of how people look at it because people always are always like oh it's so like brave it's so noble it's so whatever and I'm like it's kind of (laughs) narcissistic like I'm doing this like I love like it's the moment of laughter so I love making people laugh and it is how I've connected to people who have been like you know in really bad positions like mental health wise other you know it's I've connected to people through humor for as long as I remember and so there's like beauty in that but it's also like it's all you, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not, uh, like, I, I don't know, people put it on a pedestal. I'm like, it's like other jobs, too, but it's just, like, hard to describe. I'm sure, like, I was watching Lewis Hamilton's interview with, like, Letterman, and he was like, you know, you can try to make a shot in basketball like LeBron, but nobody can feel what it's like to be in a Formula One car, you know, driving at the speeds that he's driving at. And it's kind of like that when you, like, kill at a level, um, not that I'm at that level, but, like, when you do really well and there are people who aren't comedians they, they don't feel that it's like so hard to describe the that rush. like yeah, yeah. The, uh, the rush and then like just uh, it's this the self-criticism thing can go out the window but although there have been times where I've killed and just like been dead inside you know so it's not like always right. <laughs> the solution always together, right? but when you're in it when you feel good when you're killing it's like the best feeling in the world that sounds like purpose and passion to me I really feel like we are such better members of society when we do what kind of fills our hearts like when we actually feel connected in a in a really purposeful way to what we're doing I think I don't know if it makes us like better members of society because there are a lot of people who just like work to work you know and like they have like you know like their life outside of that I think it it I don't know if it makes us better members like ethically but it does fill your life with something it gives you um a feeling beyond what you can describe to people. Like I had friends find their passion before I did, like before I found comedy and I didn't understand. I was like, I was like, why, like, why aren't you hanging out with me? Why aren't you doing like whatever? And then once you find it, you're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. they want to like, they want to do everything they can. Yeah. To, and then you can just try to support them and like, you know, be around when you can't. Like I try to go to people's like weddings and birthdays. (laughs) That's like my rule. Beyond that, you're like, I got stuff to do. Yeah. I've, I felt that with writing one beautiful thing about finding something like that is that it almost forces you in a way to have boundaries around who you let into your life. Yo, yes. That that is something like with the sociopath, like I remember after him, I was like, I can't let this happen again. I have such a good life. Like I've built this world for myself. I'm like, I find value in myself and what I do. I can't let anyone like threaten that. And I can't waste my time. I think women like we, we get our time wasted all the time by people and it's not just people we're dating it's like people who feel entitled to like our time just around like at open mics people will talk to us and we'll be working and they're like oh you don't want to talk to me it's like no I don't want to talk to you I have to write my jokes and do I'm at work you, you don't know? have to be friendly and smiley and nice to everyone all the time. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to. If if I don't, like, find, if you're not my friend, if I don't find you interesting or whatever, like, I'm not a bitch if I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> right, I don't owe like, you something. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's, like, the way people, the way, like, 
I keep man hating, but like it's often so. It, you know, recently it was a woman who wanted me to like watch her set and stuff, which is you know fine. I want to like help women, but it's it's I was like literally like working on school stuff, and she was like, no, you have to watch my set, you have to. And men have done the same thing in conversations with me. They're like, oh, you don't want to, like like be giving me advice or something. I'm like, I don't want to hear this right now. I want to do my like I want to write. Yeah. <laughs> and they they just expect you to give your time and your effort and your energy, and they don't they it's 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 never like it's a thing where like dads say that they like babysit their own kids it's like never it's always like lauded for men and then for women it's just like you're supposed to do this <laughs> you're right. supposed to and waste then your life expecting you to want their advice that is like such an that's a whole nother thing, thing. But, that's yeah. like you're not especially in comedy stand-up is like you are your most valuable asset in stand-up so like if it's some dude who's like 30 years older than me different ethnicity like different perspective like that voice isn't going to give me a good tag like sometimes if they can like speak in your voice if they're able to write in different voices but oftentimes the people who can't read the room can't do that <laughs> like who can't mm-hmm. tell that I don't want their advice <laughs> that's a really good point yeah they they just don't have that they're not picking up on it that's so true what on your work have you been most proud of um I don't like I will say it's always like one what I said earlier it was always like wonderful and surprising to see people from my culture um be excited about my pussy jokes or you know like older aunties like in like accept a lot of me that I haven't even shared to my own parents um that is always like very like heartwarming and like younger women too um I have some like cousins and like their kids and stuff that are like on my Instagram and people my people in my parents' generation sometimes will tell me that like I shouldn't be posting things. Children are like listening or watching, and it's like I'm not advocating for like violence. I'm not advocating for like hurting people. It's empowerment to be able to talk about sexuality and to demand um, your own respect. You know, like, and so it's very validating and surprising when it comes when that approval comes from a demographic that I'm used to being defensive um, with regarding my personality because I've always like I've been like this for a while (laughs) and I just like (laughs) had to like you know you shut down one part of it and it spews out in a different part of your life and that I've just been like trying to like keep the leaks in for my whole life until comedy and now I'm just like embracing just Mm -hmm. like letting it all out and it's really it's very validating that's a good word that you used it's very validating to find people who are excited by it because it's your voice yeah, that's really beautiful. Would you share where people can follow along, see your videos, maybe catch a show? Yeah, um, I'm my, all of my social media is my first and my last name, so get out a pen. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pallavi Ganalan, P-A-L-L-A-V-I-G-U-N-A-L-A-N. Um, that's my website, my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter. Um, my website has like everything. Um, my Instagram, I post like shows, I post dirty science. Um, that's also on my YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash in comedy. Um, and then, yeah, my shows are on the events, uh, of part of my website. And then we have the facial recognition comedy podcast and show the show is the second Sunday of every month at Westside comedy theater. And we're also like touring and then I do oversharing comedy, which is oversharing comedy on Instagram. 
Um, and that's like every two weeks at Boomtown Brewery in downtown. And then I'm on other shows and things. It's, cool. it's constant. Well, <laughs> yeah. So everyone, please follow her accounts. Thank you, Paul, for being here today. You're awesome. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please hit subscribe in your podcast app if you haven't yet. And I would so appreciate a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org, and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.